Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Schmelk Detino with you. The phone number 201-939-4513 or hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We continue our preview of the Giants opponents this year. The last couple days, you heard the Redskins and Eagles with Dave Spadaro and Larry Michael via Paul and Lance. Uh, we're skipping the Cowboys because Mickey Spagnola, our go-to guy, is not available until after our July 4th break. So we'll get him uh, along with the Texans done. So we'll go do a little Texas two-trip. <laughs> on the Monday, we get back from the 4th of July vacation, and that gives us a good uh, reminder to you folks that there are no shows next week. The Giants' offices are closed for uh, renovations, construction, and just general vacation. So no shows next week. We'll You're be not back here then on Monday. Huh? You're not here painting? I'm not here painting. No. And we do have a show tomorrow <laughs> with Jeff Fiegels and I, and we'll be talking to George Charuri of um, Pro Football Focus, one of their numbers guys, and we'll do a full hour with him on a deep dive into – football analytics so if you're into the math stuff it'll be a fun thing and uh we'll learn exactly what they can do what they can't do and you'll learn about what some of these inside football analytics stuff is um and no show on friday that begins our vacation so that's where we're going let's talk about where we were the last couple of days we'll get to the jaguars at 12 30 with uh john osier he's their senior writer for jaguars.com uh paul last couple days i haven't had a chance to go back and listen to the two interviews so uh let's start with the order you did and let's go to the eagles first okay what do you think um was the biggest thing you learned from dave spadaro when you spoke to him about the eagles um I do think that there is a lot of concern in Philadelphia about the back seven on defense. They really like their front line, and why shouldn't they? Mm -hmm. They've you know, gone out to add Michael Bennett from Seattle, the terrific pass rusher. They lost Vinnie Curry. Yeah, but mm -hmm. they still have the ability to rotate Absolutely. up front. Mm -hmm. but, but I do get a sense from him there is concern, a heavy concern about the secondary and significant concern about the linebackers. Because they brought Bradham back, but they lost Paul Worrelu, right? And Kendricks, too. And Michael gone. Kendricks also left. That's now, correct. His, his thinking to kind of capsulize it is that last year, the quarterbacks who got rid of the ball quickly, and he cited Eli Manning as one of them. And Tom Brady, obviously, in the Super Bowl and was another. I think he mentioned Breeze might have been the other guy. He that would mentioned. make sense. Okay. Said that those guys with that style of offense gave the Eagles defense fits last year. Which makes sense. Because it neutralizes the pass rush and it makes their strongest point on defense irrelevant. And so if you can then pick apart the back seven, you're going to give them a tough time and force the Eagles offense now to be in a track meet. And that's what happened in the two Giants games. That's what happened against the Patriots. Yeah. We, we saw it happen. Mm -hmm. And he said to him – that seemed to be the Achilles heel of the team because they have not okay. rectified the issues in the back seven on defense. Now remind me, Patrick Robinson left, is that correct? Yeah. In corner? Um, but they are getting back their second-round pick last year, the, the kid that tore his Achilles. What has he done so far in the spring? You know what? Um, he seems to think that he's on track, but again, you're talking about an unknown. Has yeah. he worked all? Has he been in practice in OTAs and stuff? I, I can't recall how much specifically okay. he said about his snaps. Um, but what I do remember him saying, let me let me call up the Eagles depth chart again mm -hmm. because once I do that, it'll give me a little more of a refresher and talking uh, uh, what we talked about with him. Um, his other comment was, besides that, let's see. Uh, do, 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 he, uh, of course, he still likes their offensive line, which why, why shouldn't you? he? Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't he? He mentioned that he does believe um, Ajayi 
will be the featured back, but that you know Sproles will continue to come back as the third down specialist, and they will still try to use uh, Clement, who had some success last year. So it'll be a committee. And so. Smallwood, mm-hmm. yeah, but Ajayi will be Ajayi will be the lead guy, but okay. it will be a lot of a committee. Um, he said Foles has been a model citizen, and of course him and Wentz. Uh, get along great, and he doesn't anticipate that being any problems. How about Wentz's doing well. That was my next question. He, he said he will not play in the preseason. But week one? He thinks week one. Okay. But he will not play in the preseason. And, again, I understand that. He said, to be honest, he was thinking that they were going to use a lot of Sudfeld in the preseason because they know what Foles can do. I think that's probably fair. How about uh, – what do you say about Godert, their first-round pick, um, who's going to – a second-round pick. They traded down out of the first round, actually. Um, is he going to split time with Ertz, or are they going to do less two tight end stuff? Did he talk about that at all? I don't remember him saying much about okay. him at all. He, uh, he was more uh, expansive on the wide receiving core. Uh, he was hoping, because obviously he likes Aguilar. Um, and Jeffrey, he, right? Yeah. yeah, but he was. He, he pretty much said that it's a receiver by committee mm-hmm. and that Wallace is being brought in after really, let's face it, underachieving his NFL career. Yeah, absolutely. He's being brought in to stretch the field. That's no surprise. And that's pretty much all he can do. So, <laughs> Yeah, but even when he's done that in the past, he hasn't been very successful. His thinking was that um, if Wallace can produce that element, it will open things up more for the, medi- the me- medium-range receivers. Um, but, but he says it's a receivers-by-committee situation. And obviously, um, you know, Burton – was it was an important part of what Who they left. did last year, and he's not there anymore. So that remains to be seen how they can rectify that. But for the most part, that kind of is a summary of what he was thinking. Jason Peters' health, did he say, talk about it all? Yeah, he thinks he's, he thinks he's going to be okay. Okay. Um, I did ask him flat out about the, the Super Bowl hangover, you know, because nobody repeats in this league anymore. No, it's hard. And he, and he admitted to that being something that's clearly a concern. However... He said that there were a handful of key players on this team, including Wentz, who because of injury last year did not get to play in the Super Bowl. And so those guys, led by Wentz, will Peters, of course, too, one of the other key guys, will be as hungry as they were before to try to get the ring. So he said maybe they'll have enough of those guys that the Super Bowl hangover may not envelope the team. All right, final question on the Eagles before we jump to the Redskins. And we have three calls. I want to make sure we get to your calls before we get to the interview at 1230. Um, Did he have a sense for how he saw the other teams in the division? Did you ask him whether or not he thought it would be a a very tight division race? What was his feel for that? I I recall, well, Larry Michael flat out said yesterday that it could be, again, one of the toughest divisions in football, and it wouldn't surprise him if any team won. Larry Michael said that. Well, our I, Redskins play-by-play. I guy. would expect him to put the Redskins in the group, but fair enough. He's got to. Of course. You know. Um, I don't remember if Spadaro picked a, a, a order. He clearly seemed to believe that the Eagles are the favorites in the division, and I don't have a problem with him saying that. But I didn't get the sense from him that he felt it was going to be smooth sailing. He He... He clearly indicated that the matchup with the Giants is a problem for this team. But, of course, the Eagles only play the Giants twice. So, be that as it may. Okay, Redskins. Uh, well, again, who knows? With the Giants' new offense, maybe the matchup won't be as bad as what it was with the old offense. Something else you got to keep an eye on, too. Um, all right, number two, uh, the Redskins. What was Larry Michael's biggest concern 
for them heading into next year? Uh, I got the impression it was it was defense again. You Secondary know? too. Besides Josh Norman, yeah, yeah. Well, he surprised. likes Norman. Well, I said, well, that's what I said. Besides Josh yeah. Norman, yeah. Uh, they signed Skandrick. They lost Breland, right? And, yeah, but he's hoping, as as they all are down there, that Skandrick. He said Skandrick should be at least the slot guy, yeah, and maybe more. He hasn't played outside in a while, you know. But but they're hoping for a lot of productivity out of him. Um, he seems very very happy with uh, Alex Smith and the way he has blended in and That's done things. Not surprising. Uh, he likes their running back by committee. He says they're very deep at running back and they're going to wind up cutting guys back there who can play in this league. I imagine how, how has Geis been? And he very happy with Geis. And they figure he'll be the first and second down back He's with Thompson the third down He's guy. He's very happy with Geis. Yes. Uh, likes Kelly very much, likes P. Ryan, likes, likes them all. He says they're going to cut running backs who can play in this league. It's that deep there. How about, how about their receivers? I mean, that would be a big concern. I told him that I was unimpressed with their receiving core. He said Doxson has to step up this year. Oh, absolutely. Mega, mega important for him to step. And he also said that um, Paul Crow- Richardson? Crowder has to score more touchdowns. He's a slot guy, though. He's he said do a lot of scoring. He's, he said the right. problem is he's so productive in the field of play, but he doesn't reach the end zone, and they need more productivity because the other receivers they have don't do enough of it. And, of course, you know, he was he was counting on a big year out of Jordan Reed, and Lance said to him, yeah, but he's never played 16 games before. Yeah. So, you know, and I appreciate that. Jordan Reed's a good guy. He's done a lot in this league when he plays, but – it's all part of it. He doesn't play all the time. Yeah, sure. You know, so, you know, I know why Larry likes him as a player, but he doesn't play all the time. I don't think you can account on him. I just don't think you can. Anyway. Right. Folks, if you have any questions, uh, Eagles, Redskins, and then, of course, we have the Jaguars coming up. The phone number is 201-939-4513 or hashtag Giants chat. Um, get in. Chat with us. We're happy to do it. Um, and, of course, also, if you want to get online on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat, you can give us questions that way. And if you have any questions for our analytics interview tomorrow, send those also into either at Schmelk or hashtag Giants Chat, and I'll try to ask some of those questions as we move along as well. But let's get to the phones, Paulie Dots. You ready? Do it. All right, here we go. We got three folks on the lines. Let's get to them. Doug in Rochester will lead us off. Hi, Doug. Hey, what's up, Doug? John and Paul. You guys Hi. Doing? doing well, Doug. What's up? Um, Paul, um, John, I want to ask you something right quick. Uh, you know, I talked to Lance and Paul the last couple of days. And, yeah. uh, I was talking about the free safety. Um, I think um, Paul likes um, Darren Thompson and Lance like Michael, Tom- Michael Thompson. So and, uh, I, was, uh, I heard you talk about um, Curtis uh, Riley a lot. Um, can you just tell me, like, do you think he, he can fit that position? Because I heard you, you saw him a lot. And you said that you spoke about him a lot. Wait, who's that you, specifically? Uh, Riley, Riley, uh, Riley. Is it Curtis Riley? Curtis Riley. Yeah, he was a corner that they moved over to safety. Um, he was one of the guys rotating yeah. in and out. And I guess we're going to be three guys with three different picks because if I had to ch- uh, choose the guy, I think it's going to be the free safety. I think it's going to be Andrew Adams. So uh, I, I think that <laughs> I, I think that speaks to how yeah. wide open the position well, is, you, you which do, I think is fine. You do Andrew Adams in this, so that makes it four. You got Michael Thompson, you got Derrick Thomas, and you got Chris Riley, you got Andrew Adams. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, Doug, it's wide open, and I didn't see anything, you know, so spectacular from the other free safety candidates and pass coverage in, in spring practice where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, man, this guy, this is the guy. I agree with so you, So I think, Doug, it, it's frankly, it's going to come down to the preseason games. Whichever one of these guys plays better in the preseason games is probably going to win the job. 
Okay, that makes sense. I want to catch you about uh, the Giants' offense. You guys, um, you guys just talked about against the Eagles. Eli got rid of the ball pretty quick, and that's all. You think they'll do it again this year, Pat Shermer? Uh, you think Eli will be getting rid of the ball so quickly this year, like he did last year? Well, you hope he doesn't have to <laughs> get it out as quick, Doug. <laughs> I mean, that's the best answer of the day. You, no matter what <laughs> offense, no matter what offense you are, Doug, you want to get the ball out quickly. You want to take your three steps, your five. Five steps, you know, plant your back foot and get the ball. That's what every offense wants to do. However, you want to have the option to run a seven-step drop if you want. You want to have the option from That's the right. go-through three yeah. progression. So, I like to see some long balls. I mean, Eli was yep. taking a quick step back and throwing 10 yarders a lot. I'm talking about the long ball. Correct. I want to see more of that. And I think you will. Um, if they're, I mean, just from watching practice, Doug, um, I saw more deep passes in these OTAs in a week than I saw in like the entire springs in the last two, three, four years with Ben McAdoo running the offense. So I think you'll see a oh, lot okay. more down the field stuff, which yeah, is a man, very that's good terrific. thing. You that's know, Doug. Good, you know what? I want to. I will. I'll leave this question and go out there. If the if the Giants, uh, Pat Shermer, if they you utilize their weapons, uh, the uh, the Beckhams and the Station Cobb Barkley has a season like he did at Penn State and Ingram and Shepard. Uh, if they you utilize their weapons to the fullest match, uh, I don't see nobody out there with more talent than the Giants. Uh, I think the Atlanta Falcons would be the next closest team. So I want to I want to take your time. I want you guys to answer that, especially you, Paul. And thanks for having me on. And you guys keep up the good work. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate yeah, it. I, well, I think the the variety of skill position weapons the Giants have can rival anyone in the conference. Sure. And and, and they'd be up in the upper echelon of the NFL. Absolutely. I don't think anybody would question that. No. Wide but, receiver, running back, tight end. They have as good of a top four guys as anyone. Uh, right now, uh, but here's the thing I want to add to your point about having time. It's not just about Eli having maybe three seconds to throw more deep balls like Kevin Gilbride wanted. But if you can give Eli more time, it's a twofold benefit. The deep stuff, yes. Number two, it allows him to check off to that first, second, third option and gives him an opportunity to then pick out the mismatch. Yeah, read the defense. Which, in fact, may wind up being Saquon Barkley because we know nobody can keep up with him. So if it means Eli can hold it for 3.1 seconds and he's not throwing the deep ball, but it's a check down to Saquon on a 12-yard out against the linebacker and that sucker goes for 60 yards on a catch and run, I got no problem with that. And, and it's even a less tangible effect where maybe it's he's not holding the ball for, for a longer period of time, but it's his comfort level, having confidence that well, he that can too. hold the ball for a no longer question. period of time. So he doesn't. If the second option looks okay but not great, instead of him forcing the ball and he feels good enough, well, I can go to the third option. I can go to the fourth read. And he could actually go through his whole progression without being worried about getting buried a foot underneath the turf. So it's all those things put together that I think the offensive line will certainly help um, the production and consistency of this offense week in, week out. Let's go out to San Diego on line one. Say what's up to Jared. Hey, Jared. Hey, guys. How's it going? What's Hi. up, buddy? Hey, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Hey, thank Appreciate you. What do you guys do? Uh, Appreciate always it. Always great checking in and seeing what's going on with the Giants. Absolutely. Um, what, what's on your mind? So uh, a couple weeks ago, I think it was like three, four weeks ago, uh, David Carr on NFL Network brought up the Giants and their schedule. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if we did something wrong, but the first half is just brutal. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? I mean? If you look at it, you got Jacksonville, who top 10 scoring offense, top five defense. I mean, they're, they're no cream cake to start with. And then it just kind of gets worse. If you look at the entire first eight games, week nine's a bye. I mean, we're going to Atlanta, going to Carolina, having to face New Orleans. And I'm just looking at the roster. I mean, if we look at status quo, I mean, with the holes the team has, I just I, I don't know those first eight if we're going to be relevant after those eight weeks are done. What's well, your guys' thoughts? I, I, I like, you know, like many coaches, I like to break the schedule down into sections. Uh, you can certainly break them down into three-game spots or four-game spots. Some people like to go eight and eight. Usually it's quarters. You know, mm-hmm. quarters is the four-game, four games. Right. Uh, for me, and I've said this now many times over the last couple of months, with the new coaching staff, the new schemes, some of the, the new players on the roster, you know, I go back to Bill Polian, the Hall of Fame executive, who usually said that you needed to go four games in to a season, especially when you make significant changes, to find out exactly who you are as a team. I think that's never more apparent than it's going to be with the Giants this year. We're not going to know really what the Giants are until a month into the season. So here's what I'm going to say to you. If they can get through the first four games, Jacksonville, Dallas, Houston, and New Orleans, at 2-2, two and two, if they can do that, now it's a 0-0 zero and 12-game zero, schedule. I think you sign up for 2-2. Two and two. I would take that right now. 2-2, mm-hmm. two 12-game two, schedule, and by that point, they get their sea legs under them, and we find out who the Giants are, and let's play a 12-game schedule and figure it out from there. Okay. That's how um, I would approach it. All right. Uh, last question um, is kind of the, the holes on the defensive side. I, I know Charlie's right tackle will probably bring in somebody because there's going to be some quality <laughs> veteran tackles that aren't going to make other teams 53s. And mm. if we don't like what Flowers looks like, we don't look like what Wheeler's doing as far as progression. We'll get Charlie's right tackle. Well, Jared, Jared, I, I, um, I want you to hold on one second, Jared, because I, this is something I've said to Charlie, and I just want to say it again because I think it's important. Tackles that can play don't get let go. <laughs> I don't care. I know, seriously, I don't care how old they are. I don't care how much money they make. Offensive tackle might be, besides quarterback, the hardest position in the entire NFL to fill. If a guy can play, he's not going to be on the street. So I honestly don't feel great about if some guy gets cut loose in September that he's good. Because if he was good, he'd be on a team and he would have gotten cut. That's how few yeah. good offensive tackles are. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah we, we, need, we need a serviceable right tackle. It doesn't have to be good. Right. You know, if, if there's an option out there after the cuts are made and you're really, really concerned about that position, sure. then you might just grab a serviceable guy. That's, That's fine. my point. That's fine. So I think a difference maker that we could possibly get, I mean, it could hurt our rivals and advance our team if it's possible. I know in 2015, Tom Brady, he took a pay cut to kind of help, you know, re-sign Solder and go after free agents. And, you know, he kind of withdrew his injury um, guarantee and put it on like a uh, make-the-roster guarantee. So if New England cut him, obviously he'd be a free agent. And who would want Tom Brady? So he knew he'd he'd be protected. But I don't know if Eli Manning is willing to do that for this club. 
to get somebody like a high caliber free safety. Yeah, but who do Earl you want? Thomas's name's been out there. Could you imagine Earl Thomas playing free safety in a position that we've seen based he's, on you he's, know he's not the same Earl Thomas. I, I, I talked to bring yeah. that individual onto our team. You know, if Eli would take a pickup. I'll give you I'll give you two two angles on this. First of all, Earl Thomas is not the same Earl Thomas that you remember from years ago. In fact, that's the reason why Seattle doesn't want to come up with more money for him. Yeah, because by the way, you don't only have to trade for him, which by the way, they're looking for a second round pick, okay? Yeah. Then you so have to give this they would take a third right now. Uh, uh, the market is, I guarantee it. If wow. this if the Seahawks are willing to take a third, he'd be a Dallas Cowboy right now. Because the Cowboys are looking to trade for him at the draft and they they wouldn't take anything less than a right. two. So that's why that trade didn't get done. And if, if you look at it deeper, not only do you have to give the draft pick, you gotta pay him. then you got to give him a contract extension or he ain't going to play. So well, you're not, so you're not only paying him for this year, which I think he's at something eight, nine million. Eight, I think it's then, eight or nine, then yeah. he wants a three year for four year, $40 million extension. Not he's it. 31. He's not had an Achilles surgery. He's had an ACL surgery. Frankly, I'll pass. I'd rather go out and sign a Kenny Vaccaro or one of these safeties that's on the free agent market. It's a position that was very slow this offseason. There's still if you want to talk about quality players that are available, look at free safety. Trey Boston. That's where Trey, Trey Boston, it's a perfect example. That's where you can find some value in the free agent market. Yeah. I would look there and you don't need Eli Manning to take a pay cut to make something like that work. You can find that money somewhere. If you really wanted to Jimmy with Eli's money, you could actually sign him to another year extension yeah. and then spread out bonus money and change some of his base money into bonus money. And you could do something that would lower his cap number if you wanted to. That's not a pay cut. It's not a pay cut. Right. It's, it's a not a pay cut. It's a, it's a restructuring Correct. with an extension, which, quite frankly, some teams do those things with what's called a ghost year with the understanding with the player that, look, we're, we're dealing with your numbers here, we're restructuring you, we're lowering our cap number, you're not going to see that last year that deal, but the way that it's structured, you're going to get your money anyway. It's a little bit of trickery that can be used. Uh, Thank so, you, Jared. Appreciate the call, buddy. There's more than All one right, way to get Thank Eli's you. number appreciate down other than taking a pay cut. That's the point. Thank you, Jared. We appreciate you. We're going to say appreciate what you do. We yep. appreciate what you do listening and calling in and being part of the program. All right, we got two guys. Dan, we only got about five minutes here before we get our guests on. So let's take these two calls. We won't take mm-hmm. any more. Let's go to Dave in Cranford. He's up next. Hi, Dave. How are you, Paul? How are you, John? Hi. Great, Dave. What's up? I just wanted to say something about you guys. I know you're not going to want to comment because you don't like uh, self-aggrandizing things. But, you know, I listen to a lot of other, <laughs> other you know, programs and um, – you know, I, I know that you guys, you know, whatever, technically, I guess, work for the for the Giants. But at the end of the day, you guys are real football guys. And I think it's one of the reasons that this show is so popular and hopefully growing in popularity is that you guys can actually separate out, you know, rooting for the Giants and hoping that they do well because it's, you know, good for you, good for us, good for everybody. But, but at the end of the day, you still can analyze, you know, the team, the coaches, the staff, the ownership, and it's it's really what makes the program so great. So I just wanted to mention that to you guys. Well, and, Dave, um, you know what? I thank thank you for that. And you know, sometimes it it's it's a balance that that we have to find. You know, there are certain things we can't talk about, like um, guys on other teams, for example, um, and you know, things like that. When or you get the transactions before they're transactions before announced. they're official. That, that that's another perfect example. But you know, the Giants organization does a great job of allowing us to be honest in our analysis and. No, we don't root for the Giants. Do we want them to do well? Yes, because that's that 
that's good for us. It's good for everybody. It makes the program better. So we obviously want the team to do well. Last November and last December hosting the show pretty much sucked. I mean, yep. and, and, and we, we don't want to have no, to do I... that again. So, and, you know, so we're not here being homers and rooting. We try to be honest in our analysis. We have our opinions. We don't attack yep. anybody personally. And, and like you said, we try to be um, – as honest and, and truthful as we possibly can in our analysis, and the Giants organization is great in allowing us to do that. So hopefully you guys under, out there understand that we never will tell you something on this show that we don't believe, okay? Yeah, we will never it, do I think that. it comes across. And my, my only point, John, is there's a famous saying in business that you don't have to be faster than the bear. I only have to be faster than you. And the, at the end of the day, the, the reality is not a lot of other, you know, um, places do that, and, and that kind of leads me to my point. I know they're not the team today, but I know you're going to eventually get to the, to the Cowboys at some point. And, and, I, and I really just wanted to say something about when you do get there, because I find them to be one of the biggest, you know, they're a great marketing organization. They're, they're unbelievable from the time Jerry Jones bought the team. Um, and, and, you know, but I think there's a lot in terms of their roster construction, and I think it's relevant going into this year because I think there's a really good chance that Dallas finishes this year again like they have mostly under Jason Garrett, you know, statistically, at an 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven type of, of, of team. Okay. And, you know, they spin the fact that, you know, even though Jason Garrett begged, you know, Jason Witten to stay on the team, Somehow now all the news coming out of Dallas is that they're going to spread the ball around. No one needs a number one receiver. Oh, they have to. Be. They know, don't have they, one. <laughs> because they don't, they don't have one. Right. right. So this is the spin. <laughs> my, my point is, is that in a salary cap world, and when you, if you go back and look, when the salary cap in, came into the league in 1994, the Cowboys were at the end of their run. They won, you know, one or two more Super Bowls with the great teams that they built. Yep. But they built them in a in a non-salary cap world. Yep. You look at even their offensive line, and I give them one credit, which is hard for me to do. I'll give them one credit. They drafted some great offensive line, which is hard to do. But now they have a problem on their hands where over the next number of years, they have over $300 million committed to one position group. As great as it is, it's still one position group and a position group that doesn't touch the football, right? So – you look at them going forward, and I think the biggest issue is they talked about Dak Prescott this year. They're going to have a real problem on their hands if they finish 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven because next year they have to commit to Dak Prescott. They're not committed to him. They're paying him six hundred grand. He's like the 60th paid quarterback in the league. And if you go back and look at the Seahawks, when they basically won back-to-back Super Bowls, minus one boneheaded play, they, they didn't, but they should have, mm-hmm. you know, that was because they had a young group of talent, particularly at quarterback. So think about it this way. They're going into every game this year, and they have an advantage over every other team predominantly that they're going to play because they've got $20 million. The other team that they're playing, like the Giants, are paying $20 million to their quarterback that the Cowboys aren't paying. Sure. Absolutely. They should be a great team right now, and they're not. Well, here's the, well, here's the thing, Dave. The reason, and I think people haven't really noticed this, the Cowboys are now an extremely young team. Um, they have a couple of veterans on that roster now in Sean Lee and maybe Cole Beasley. Uh, you want to yep. go there? Their almost entire defensive line and secondary is filled with young players. Uh, their linebacker cores or you all young players. Even their starting offensive line that's getting paid all this money, none of them are thirty. 
They're all yep. young players. Their receivers are all young players. So they've kind of made this transition from the Romo, Dez, Witten Cowboys to this next group of guys. And I think the organization actually drafts a lot better than people give them credit for, but you're right. It's going to get dicey for them um, when they have to figure out how to pay Prescott. Eventually, these guys on defense who they drafted are, are, are going to come up as well, and how you balance that with the offensive line. Now, if I'm then, I wouldn't let Zach Martin, Travis Frederick, or Tyron Smith walk away either. I mean, <laughs> you know they're great players. Why would you let them walk? But you're right. You, ha you can't pay for everything. Eventually, you're going to have to play young guys somewhere that don't make a lot of money, mm -hmm. and it looks like the Cowboys have decided that they're going to either do that on defense or they're going to do that a wide receiver because they do have so much money invested on the offensive line. And that's something I think and, – and, Dave, thanks for the call. We have our guests coming up. That's yep, something I, I think – no problem. And that's something I think the Giants were thinking ahead with when they decided not to bring back Rich Berg and Pugh because right. they understood yep. that other guys were coming up and they were going to have to pay other guys. You can't pay everybody. You have yep. to make the most – get the most value out of the money you spend. Dave, thanks a lot for the call, yep. man. You too, Just guys. You too, guys. one final nugget yeah, please, on, on the Cowboys. As you look to move forward with that team, and they are certainly in the process of their rebuild, uh, if they go through another 500 or so season with Jason Garrett, they may not have that head coach no, on the sideline. That's it. They, they, they need to be a playoff team this year or he's gone. So I think that's pretty much a guarantee. That field. then becomes another element of the rebuild. And the frustrating thing, I'm sure, from their organization standpoint, I'm sure they believe they would have made the playoffs last year if Ezekiel Elliott doesn't get suspended, which, frankly, uh, they probably would have. But that's not how it went. No. So um, that's something that they're going to have to figure out moving forward. But, again, they're a young team, and – Frankly, they have to figure out whether or not they're willing and how much they will want to pay Dak Prescott after this year, depending on how he plays. If he doesn't play well, then maybe they keep him around, but they start looking for the next guy. I mean, that's I mean, that's a real consideration. If he, if he plays poorly this year, he's not getting a $25 million a year contract. No. He's just not. No. It's not happening. And there's no guarantee who knows how he's going to play. And frankly, he's in a great position with the offensive line and the running back. But who the hell is he throwing the ball to? They didn't exactly make it easy for him from a, uh, from a receiver well, standpoint, you know? That's why I don't think Dallas is making the playoffs. But we got a call. Absolutely. We have our guest coming up. Um, and we thank him for joining us as we continue our team preview here as we go through the Giants' schedule. Um, we already did a couple of the NFC East teams, the Redskins and the Eagles. So we want to go to the first team on the Giants schedule, and that's John Osher. He covers the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, for Jaguars.com. John, you got John Schmelk and Paul Dettino here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. How are you? Good. It must be the off season if we're previewing the opponents, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got that I'm right, John. Thing. I get it. I John, get it. you got to find something to talk about, my friend. Glad to have oh, no you, though. And, and it's funny. We actually, we, I'm sure you heard, we were just talking, we had a fan call up about the Cowboys and their quarterback situation when they're eventually going to pay Prescott. Um, the Jaguars, I feel <laughs> yeah. like, are, are in a very similar situation <laughs> in that uh, they're a little further along with Blake Bortles being on his fifth-year option this year, but this is a pretty big year for them in figuring out if he's the answer moving forward or are they going to have to go back to the drawing board after this season, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, they've kind of taken a an unusual approach to it in that they believe he's the guy. Uh, they're fortunate in the sense that they were able to pay him this offseason in such a way that fits with a salary cap situation that is 
increasingly becoming an issue, if that's the right way to say it. They went through their rebuild yep. uh, in the last couple off seasons, and they're now in a situation where they're fine for this year, but after 2018 is when you know all the uh, rent comes due, if you will, on mm-hmm. uh, AJ Boy, Clay's Campbell, everybody signed last year. So they were they've been able to keep Blake's salary, you know, manageable for a quarterback, expensive for anybody else. But yeah, I mean, uh, if, if he plays the way that he played at the end of last season, which was very good and in the playoffs, very good for the most part, then the contract that he's been given is one of those rare quarterback contracts that sort of makes sense. Most of the of the big quarterback contracts, when you look at them, they make no sense with the salary cap, but you got to pay them uh, because they're quarterback. Yep. Yeah. If he, if he plays well, it's a good contract for him, a good contract for the team. If he doesn't, then, you know, like any quarterback, you got to reassess everything. You know, John, it's often said that you're never as bad as you look or you're never as good as you look. You're probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, you got a Jaguars team down there that, you know, was just horrible the year before, puts up double-digit wins last year, goes two rounds into the playoffs – You know, this is one of those parity-driven teams that the NFL loves, you know, where uh, parity drives the opportunity for a team to go from worst to first and make a quick turnaround. In your mind, what was the biggest key to that turnaround? Because there are Giants fans who are saying, hey, we won three games last year. We'd love to make the playoffs this year. And the Jaguars are the poster team for someone to do that. Well, there were so many things. The – the build takes a long time to explain, but there was talent here. And then last year, they really hit on uh, Calais Campbell, A.J. Boye, Barry Church were three guys they got in free agency that were home runs. Uh, as any NFL fans know, it's rare to hit three homers in free agency to the point where Calais Campbell and A.J. Boye were both AP All-Pros. Well, the Giants That's did that two years ago with their defense. Yeah, absolutely. It, Right, precisely. So, and then they also drafted Leonard Fournette, who was able to fit in to the running game the way they wanted to play. And then all of a sudden, the second half of the season, all those things sort of clicked. They started winning close games. And the formula that they worked or that they wanted to be was all of a sudden playing out. It, uh, my experience is, yes, the Giants did it a couple years ago. The uh, Jaguars did it last year. It's still pretty rare to get to the AFC Championship game from a three and thirteen season or a four and twelve season, whatever they were in two thousand sixteen. Um, but it worked because they became a very good defense very quickly, and they were willing to play a game that steered toward defense. They're willing to run the ball. They're willing to believe they're going to win close games. They're willing to play in that ball control way. Uh, they kind of believe in who they are, and that was a big reason for the for the turnaround last year. You know, it's John. It's funny you mentioned that because a lot of Giant fans that have kind of brought up um, one of the reasons the Giants should have drafted Saquon Barkley because of the impact Leonard Fournette had on the Jaguars last year. And yeah, I think I'm not trying to say Leonard Fournette didn't have an impact. He did, but to me, the Jaguars' success last year was about their style and the result of the style. It wasn't that you know. Fournette was some explosive guy averaging five yards per carry. It was the way you ran the ball, controlled it, and then, like you just said, play 
a defensive brand of football and trying to win games with your defense. To me, all of none of that matters on offense with Leonard Fournette if the defense isn't fantastic last year. And that, to me, was the main difference with the Jaguars is that you were fine punting the football and putting the defense on the field because you were confident <laughs> that they were going to get the stop. I think you wound up having, what, a plus 17 turnover ratio because right. you were able to play so conservatively on offense because of that defense. And to me... You have young guys on defense still getting better. You mentioned the veterans. I see no reason that defense takes a step back this year. Yeah, it, it, there's nothing on paper. Injuries obviously play into everything. There's nothing on paper that makes you think they won't be better, mainly because you've got guys like Jalen Ramsey. You've got guys like Telvin Smith, uh, Miles Jack, who appear to be getting better, especially Jalen and Miles Jack and a guy named Unique Ngakwe, who's their pass-rushing defensive end. These guys were all in their second year last year, going into their third. They appear to still be ascending players. And uh, to your point, this absolutely was a team last year that, against sort of modern NFL conventional wisdom, if you will, they're very willing to, hey, we're up 10-3 in the fourth quarter of a playoff game against Buffalo. We believe a punt is a good play here because we don't believe they're going to score on it. Now, that leaves you open to second guessing if the team does score, but they really believe that their defense is good enough to carry him. Now in the second half, of the AFC championship game, uh, you're playing Tom Brady and it didn't work out that way, yeah. but it certainly carried them that far. Although there were signs last year, this defense, I mean, uh, this offense ranked uh, sixth in the NFL in yards and not uh, fifth in points. So the interesting thing of this off season and early this season for this team was this an offense last year that was starting to show signs of being better than conventional wisdom gave it credit for? I don't think it's going to be an elite, uh, you know, 500 points a year offense, but there were signs last year that make you think this offense is better than what the perception was. Well, you know, John, Tom Coughlin said for years here with the Giants before he wound up landing with Jacksonville again for a second time, more games in this league are lost than they are one. And that's exactly how you guys played. Played the percentages, did not lose games, and and look how far it took you. So there's a lot of basis and sound thinking in that philosophy. Uh, Let me ask you particularly about the biggest acquisition that this team made in the offseason. Andrew Norwell, highest paid guard. We all know about the numbers. Well, now that... Now the second highest well, paid guard. We're re-signing of Martin <laughs> yeah, of uh, in right. Dallas. But we understand that the Brinks truck was backed up. So right. it's a two-pronged question. First of all, how important was it to what the Jaguars wanted to do that they literally had to back up a Brinks truck to get this guy because they bowled everybody out of the water to get this guy? And then second part, Patrick Omame, who was a guy the Giants have signed, um, it seemed to me that you had a pretty solid offensive line, a, a power run team, a team that ran the ball, controlled the clock, mm-hmm. did all these smart things with a pretty good, high-quality lineman as it was. So explain to me those two aspects of the question, if you can. Uh, simply put, the second half of the AFC Championship game, this team led by 10. And there were four straight possessions where – they couldn't run when they wanted to run. And although this was a the number one ranked running team in the league last year, there were a lot of times in the second half of the season 
where when the Jaguars wanted to play the game where you give the ball to Fournette and you run out the clock and you dominate by being a running team, too often they couldn't do it. So they had to upgrade somewhere. They liked Amame, but their thinking is they wanted to be a team that is able to run the ball when they need to run it, when the other team knows you want to run it. Uh, Norwell's an all-pro, as good as Amame was. He wasn't an all-pro. They feel like the left side of their line where Norwell plays should over time start gearing toward being a Cowboys type of line. And by that meaning, remember when uh, Elliott was going good in 2016? Yeah. You knew Dallas was running, and they were going to run anyway. Mm-hmm. That's hard to get to in the NFL unless unless your whole line's elite. I don't know how elite the Jaguars' offensive line is going to be this year, but that is certainly the reason for the Norwell signing. Is they want to be as good running the ball in reality as their statistics showed that they were. And too often in the second half of last season, they couldn't run when they wanted to run. Interesting. And the guy he's going to be playing next to is Cam Robinson. That's who I want to ask you about because he's somebody that oh, we spoke a lot about in terms of the Giants last year, or rather in the sure. 2017 draft, whether or not they should take him with their spot in the, uh, I think, around 2022 or so in that first round. And I think there's a lot of varied impressions of how he played. I know Pro Football Focus said he had a poor year, but you look at the results of the run game and the offense, like, well, shouldn't you – didn't your left tackle have to play well if the offense was so good? <laughs> so from somebody that watched him every day, what did Cam Robinson do last year? I know they didn't expect him to be their starting left tackle from day one. Um, and how did he play, and, and what's the where's the arrow pointing for him moving forward? He played absolutely well enough to make you think that he's going to be really good. Uh, okay. My guess is the uh, PFF grade, uh, he was inconsistent at times. And my guess is that uh, there were a lot of plays where there were errors that counted against in a grading system. I don't know PFS system, but you follow right. me. Yeah, that he he played. He showed everything you want to see from a young player, and then also showed the things from a young player that make you think, okay, there's still a lot of room to grow. Okay, he he needed to gain strength. He needed to gain experience. They believe he's a left tackle of the future. Um, if he plays the way in year in year three that he played in year one, I don't think they'd be real thrilled with it. Uh, if he if he improves from that, which is every reason to think he will as he gets stronger. He was 21 years old as a rookie. That's pretty young for an offensive lineman. You're still trying to gain that man strength sure. that you gain your first couple of years. So they like him. Uh, I don't think they would be thrilled if at the end of this season he's as good as he was midway through year one. But he showed progression last year. He looks like he's a guy who's going to continue to get better. Uh, I'll put it this way. There was no thought in the offseason, we've got to change direction. Got it. But that's because there's a belief that he will get better. So I I sort of agree with PFF's grade. Uh, I don't think he should have been one of the highest-rated tackles in the league. But they believe strongly that he will eventually be a first-round pick type of left tackle. You know, the kind of guy that you guys were talking about maybe the Giants should draft last year. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't want to leave the ball on the ground here, so I want to digress and go back to the previous question about Omame because it almost sounds like he might have been the scapegoat as Tom Coughlin wanted to 
get a dominant line, not just a good O-line, but a dominant line, and that's why he upgraded to Norwell. Since this is a giant show, i got to ask sure. you for a little more about Omame. What are the Giants getting in him as a player? Obviously, he's not an all-pro. He's not a dominant player. But what will Giants fans like about him, and what will they kind of sneer about and say, okay, well, that wasn't such a great, great, great deal? Um, probably inconsistency. When you're looking at a guy who uh, he's a good player and, like you said, is not going to be a pro bowler. Well, what the Jaguars were trying to find in Norwell, they wanted something to upgrade somewhere, and they couldn't upgrade their center because Brandon Linder was there, and he's he's a guy who's a core player. Sure. Couldn't upgrade Robinson. Uh, they have a right tackle, and when they looked in free agency, Norwell was the way to get better and get an elite guy as opposed to an okay guy. You know, the thing in the league is always you're supposed to be able to cover up okay guards with a center and uh, tackles around them. Mm-hmm. I'd say if, if the Jaguars had had elite right tackle, left tackle, center, then I think Omame would have been fine. But if you're look, if they were looking for a way to upgrade, makes sense. Then I think you know, and they liked him. You never heard bad things about Amame, but it was sort of a situation where look, we got to upgrade somewhere. We like this guy, but okay, wow, here's an all pro guy available. What happens to be in Amame's spot? So not great. I don't think he's ever going to be in the Pro Bowl. But the Jaguars certainly, if if they hadn't gotten Norwell in free agency. I don't think they would have had a problem going back to Amame. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best way to answer the question. All right, I got two questions about skill position, guys, and Paul changed tunes to the defense. Yeah. You haven't really touched on your defense a whole lot yet. Um, real quick on Leonard Fournette, is he going to be able to stay healthy long-term? We go back to college, he's always hurt. He had injury problems last year. Is that a concern down there in Jacksonville, that do they have to maybe manage his carries a little bit to keep him healthy? Yeah, that's a question he's got to answer, and I don't know how to answer it because the reality is he hasn't stayed healthy. It was an issue last year. It's been ankles. It's been the same area. Yeah. Uh, there is a part of you that wonders, you know, is he going to be able? He played, I think it was 14 last year, for uh, 13 or 14 games. That's not bad for a running back in this league. You know, uh, especially a guy like him, it takes a lot of pounding. You would think there's going to be a game or two where he's going to be questionable, where you hold him out to try to get him fresher. Yeah, That's sort of what his situation was last year. By the same token, there was a stretch last year where the ankle clearly, from a press box point of view, looked like it was holding him back. Um, it is a big, big issue for this team in terms of they're a better team when he's showing freshness, pop, all those things. He lost uh, 10 pounds this offseason. They think okay. that'll make him a faster player, but I think it's a question he's got to answer. I think it's it's going to be the question that defines the bulk of his career, that five- or six-year period where he's in his prime. Uh, if he can't stay healthier than he was last year, then I don't think he'll be the player that you drafted to be number four. That said, he's still the engine that drives this offense. He's still the identity of this offense, but it's a major question. John Ozier, Jaguars.com. Wide receivers, real quick. Uh, you guys have really turned over that wide receiver core. Marquise Lee, really the only guy left. Uh, Dante Moncrief now there. You drafted DJ Chark, Keelan Cole, and Diddy Westbrook, two young guys that played well at the end of last year. 
Um, is this a wide-open competition here for who your top three wideouts are? Uh, what's your overall big-picture take on what you see from the wide receiver position right now? Well, it strikes me, and I didn't follow the Giants, obviously, as close as, as I did other teams I've covered. But when Tom was there, except when they had uh, Plexico, they were sort of a wide receiver group, from afar anyway, that looked like it, it, it used a lot of guys. It didn't necessarily have a true one, per se, and, and sort of did a lot of things by committee. Uh, maybe not exactly, but there were a lot of guys who could make plays. That's what they're building here. They let Allen Robinson go. They let Allen Hearns go to Dallas. They feel like with Marquise Lee and Dante Moncrief starting and Keelan Cole playing that third role, they like those three, but it wouldn't be shocking to see uh, DJ Shark or D.D. Westbrook step in, get a lot of reps and a lot of and a lot of the catches. So they've got a three, meaning those first three I mentioned, but it wouldn't be shocking at all to see either of the other two guys be the team's leading receiver in a, in a given game. This is not a franchise right now that believes it needs a quote-unquote one. And Again, my impression from afar was that's the approach that Tom took a lot of years up there. You know, it's funny. They never actually, besides Burris, you're right, used a lot of resources on the wide receiver position. They were just fortunate that one of those guys that was going to be part of the committee, Victor Cruz, became a number one, and no one expected him to be that way. And well, then, of like course, Team Nick's would have been, and he got hurt. And, and that was the next sure. thing I was going to say. Paul, you can go to the defense. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of my favorite guys in recent years in the draft, and it's a shame that he had the knee injury coming out of UCLA, was Miles Jack. And we all know that's the only reason that he dropped as far as he did, and that Jacksonville was able to get their hands on him. Two years in, and he played the whole season last year, are there still whispers and concerns about his durability, or is is he proven everything that he needs to prove that he's going to be a dominant leader on this defense for the next several years? Well, it's kind of a funny thing with Miles. The, the thing with his knee was never coming out that it was going to be a short-term issue, meaning – very few teams had any doubt that he was going to be fine for the first year, fine for the second year. What they didn't know coming out was uh, how long the knee would be able to hold up if he'd have a 10-year career, a 12-year career. And, you know, I don't know that they really know that. There has been zero signs of any problems so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it, it's sort of a situation where you just you assume he's going to be fine until he's not. I've heard no whispers along those lines, but that was such a major storyline when he was coming out that it's hard to ignore it. Uh, How long will he last? Will he be playing in his ninth year at a high level? I don't know, but they sort of took the approach when they drafted him. Hey, we believe it's going to be fine for the short term. If we get X number of years out of him, then it's worth a second-round pick. Right now, guys, if I had to pick a player who was ascending and is going to have a breakout year, I think Miles is going to be a Pro Bowl player this year. I don't know if that means he'll get voted in. Mm-hmm. But in, in three games last year in the playoffs, He's got talent. Miles had a, had a tipped pass that led to the game-changing interception against Buffalo, had an interception early against the Steelers that really changed the dynamic of that game, and, of course, he had the fumble recovery that everybody remembers in the second half of the championship game. Three impact plays in three playoff games. Uh, now, I don't know that he has 16 and 16 regular season games, but he's the guy that, out of all these guys everybody talks about on defense, that looks like the rising star. My sense, 
well, first of all, I know Jalen Ramsey's damn good. My <laughs> sense is that he's damn he good and lets people know that he's damn good when he's on the field. Uh, with that being said, how much fun is this Ramsey-Beckham matchup going to be in week number one? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, it's, it's uh, Jalen mentioned it. Jalen's the kind of guy uh, that you love to cover. Um, and as a fan, that you love him if he's on your team and you hate him if he's not on your team. He's the <laughs> prototypical guy of that. In his, uh, in the one time he talked during minicamp, his one off season talk, he kind of smiled when they asked him, "Have you circled any matchups?" And yet, and uh, uh, Jalen's certainly the kind of guy he circles all the big name matchups he's got, and he kind of smiled. He goes, "Well, you know, I've circled week one because obviously people are going to be talking about that." And that was sort of a boring quote. That week, I'm sure there'll be really good quotes. But my guess is that both of those guys, uh, again, I've never covered Odell, but my guess is he has a lot of respect for Jalen, and it, and it, and my guess is Jalen has a lot of respect for him. Mm-hmm. There'll be trash talk that there has to be because they're both trash talkers. But my guess is those guys are, are a lot alike in that sense, that it's going to be a lot of fun. They're both looking toward the challenge. But I don't get the feeling from watching Odell from afar that he's a malicious, mean guy. No. Um, no. And, and I think Jalen's the same way. I think they love being football players. They love being stars. I think both of them have a lot of fun with it. And it, it, If you're circling marquee matchups, it's certainly one for, for, uh, for y'all's world and our world. But that's got to be the lead of uh, Dion's primetime show that night, right? Then, John, <laughs> what the heck happened between Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Green? Because A.J. Green seems like the most mild-mannered guy in the football field like ever. And whatever Jalen Ramsey did to him, holy cow, he snapped. What the heck happened with that? Yeah, Jalen came out the next week, and he just kind of said he, he took off from the very beginning of that game telling A.J. he was soft. Telling him he was past his prime, telling oh. me, and I, and, and Jalen went on the record okay. with all this on like the Wednesday following, and just I think Jalen just knew he could get under his skin, and just kept going and going and going, and uh, AJ didn't like it. We've and seen, it got, uh, it, yeah, yeah, we've seen so people it, try to do that to Odell Beckham Jr. and that gets kind of ugly too. Week one could be fun. Hello, yeah. So <laughs> that's Jalen's mo, and it was. It was kind of funny. When you really looked back at the A.J. Green-Jalen fight, except for words, Jalen was kind of innocent, meaning yeah, no, you're right. there he was. was no – I mean, right. and when you say except for words, it was words that caused the whole thing. So he wasn't innocent. But in terms of <laughs> he got the reaction oh, well. he wanted, and the officials kind of threw them both out to stop anything. So it was, uh, it was quite a scene. It, it yeah. was something to watch. John, last one from me. I'll stick with the defense. You know, we talked about Saxonville, 55 sacks, a very bodacious number. They came from a bunch of guys. You had two double-digit sack guys. So what's the deal with the defense this year? Are you going to rely as heavily on that quarterback pressure? Is it going to come from different guys, more scheme-oriented, more player-oriented? Because you know as I know, it's a copycat league. And after allowing 55 sacks to a Jacksonville defense last year, teams in the NFL have been talking about for months, we're not going to let them get to our quarterback this season. Well, it's a tough thing because really, you know, I covered the Colts for 10 years uh, uh, during the Manning era. So they were, you know, a Robert Mathis, Dwight Freeney pass rush, and their whole defense was predicated on pass rush. That's sort of the football that I knew. Well, this team sort of goes the opposite, meaning, yes, 
Ngakwe and Campbell and Malik Jackson and Dante Fowler, all those guys are on their front. They can all rush the passer. But a huge reason why their pass rush elevated last year was you had Ramsey and, and A.J. Boye on the back checks. end yeah. who, are, who are legitimate, all-pro. Uh, they're not depending on the pass rush necessarily to make them good, which some corners, you, know, you guys know how it works, some corners mm-hmm. do. Yeah. So I don't want to call the Jaguars uh, sacks coverage sacks because Ngakwe and Campbell are too good. Right. But that combination, the extra half a second where quarterbacks have to hold the ball because – Boye's in coverage and Ramsey's in coverage. It definitely helped the pass rush. So teams that are trying to stop the pass rush still have to figure out uh, who we're going to throw at in the back end because if I had to pick the strength of the unit, you know, I guess defensive line because you've got three pro bowlers there, but the back end, A.J. Boye and Jalen Ramsey, you know, I've never covered a cornerback tandem like these guys. So it's a it, it's tough to stop because for now, because the cap hasn't hit him in 2019, this defense will change because some of these guys up front that give them all the depth uh, aren't going to be around. Right. But for now, it's an incredibly balanced unit on all three levels. It's hard to say what the best level of this defense is. And, boy, you couldn't have said that a year ago this time. And, by the way, we haven't even mentioned your two rookies, Taven Bryan and Ronnie Harrison, <laughs> who a lot of people think can be starters in this league, too, by the way. A final uh, one from me, and I just want to – me and Paul try to explain this to Giant fans that call our show because we experienced it firsthand, and now you have, too. What impact, just from every day being in the building from a culture standpoint, did the arrival of Tom Coughlin have in the Jaguar organization last year? Well, again, you guys know if you've been around him. I covered Tom. Uh, I was in Indy for 10 years, but I, I uh, worked in Jacksonville for the newspaper 95 to 2000 when he was here. Oh, okay. wow. So I saw it then when he came in. You know, I was just sort of a young reporter. I never covered the NFL. I didn't realize what – I didn't realize that Tom was different, if you follow me. I, I do. Could, he was the first coach I covered. So I thought everything that you guys know about, all the rules, mm-hmm. all the – incredible daily attention to detail, all that stuff. I thought that was how it was. Well, <laughs> I went to work for Indy where Bill Polian was there, and very similar in terms of yeah. the dynamic attention to detail, uh, over the top sometimes, but, hey, it works. So I thought that's what life in the NFL was. Well, I, I got back here in Jacksonville, and, frankly, it wasn't like that for a while. Then when Tom came back, I was like, oh, well, okay, well, that's how it is again. So <laughs> a long answer to your question, because, again, I know you guys have been around Tom. You can't describe the, the incredible manic daily attention to detail, doing what's right. Uh, whether or not you agree with him on what's right, he sure believes it. And yeah. it, it, the, that energy and that commitment – I don't know how you can be around it and not feel it. And there's a lot of ways to skin a cat in the NFL. Um, he believes in his way so fervently. I always believe you got to pick a way and go with it and believe in it. Mm-hmm. He believes in it, and because he believes in it, the entire organization believes in it. Yeah. And, again, you guys have been around, so you know what I'm talking about with that. John, it, you know, being, it, I was going to say, John, being an Italian – there's nothing more I love than a guy who's decisive, and that is Tom yeah, Coughlin. And that's what it is. And that's what it is. And so he brought that, and he brought a belief, 
And when you combine it with Boye and Campbell and these guys coming in, and uh, Doug Marone shouldn't be forgotten in this too. Yep. Right. He's a Coughlin guy. Mm-hmm. It all fits together. So it all worked. It doesn't always work, but it sure worked last year. John, great stuff. We appreciate the time, and we'll Thank see you, you up so here much. in the Meadowlands that first week of September. I look forward to it, guys. I enjoyed it. You guys be well. Hey, appreciate you too. it. Great, great stuff from John Osier. Awesome information. You can tell he's on top of stuff. Uh, real quick, real, real quick, real quick. <laughs> wow. Um, Joe in Pennsylvania has been holding uh, the whole interview, so I want to make sure I get him before I we know. say goodbye. Joe, thank you for holding. I'm sorry I didn't get to you before that interview. Uh, I apologize. No big deal. What Love do you got? I just hope you had time anyway. to eat uh, lunch. <laughs> uh, I said, uh, who, whose uh, defense would you rather go up against more, Jacksonville's or, or the Eagles? I think the Jaguars' defense is a more complete unit. Without a doubt. Opinion. Without a yeah. doubt. That's that's what what I think too. And a comment there that they can pay their their players, their offensive lines and defensive lines the same like the Eagles because they don't pay nothing to their quarterback. The the Eagles did get in there, but they not this year, but the following they have to play Wince if he's there, and they even chipped in to play uh, what's his name Fultz there or what's his the backup there. The, yeah, Fultz. So Joe, remember this year Blake Bortles is making nineteen million dollars. So Blake Bortles isn't making peanuts now; he is making nineteen. Well, million. I said okay, he's he's finally they're fi- gonna pay him something. That's what I mean there. Right. And they, the Eagles haven't paid their quarterback yep. nothing yet. So, or Dallas. So. Uh, but uh, looking at them, that we do do play them, the the, the Eagles. I, I look back last year. You know what I mean? How the uh, how, how good Eli was, and how they burned their secondary. And and I would think too. I remember uh, Spadaro did say, you know, they're hoping and praying that their uh, middle linebacker comes in there because that's where I think we would have a big benefit there with. Uh, Barkley coming out the middle there, you know what I mean, uh, on all their linebackers because they, they, uh, they lost a couple of them there. And uh, I think the screen plays would play in big mm-hmm. with, with them, with uh, against them. And sure. and uh, uh, what uh, was I going to say there? I think the big thing is really and truly against all them, these teams, if we can get that running game going and they have to bring the safeties up, you know, we could really burn them with with any of our our players, the tight end, uh, uh, Barkley, uh, Beckham. You know and that that really is a key, and I, I I think we would we should have an edge on on that against their linebackers in their secondary. You know if we can, and our offensive line should be better. So you you would just think that we would. Uh, you know what I mean? That would be our edge, you know, going against the Eagles this year. So uh, one other thing I did want to say, they do have a lot of togetherness in their locker room. I, I know that the Eagles, and they played that last year a lot, you know, that they were the underdogs and no one gave them respect. So uh, thanks for taking my call again. Thank you, Joe. Remember, e- easier said than done, breaking down that defense. I know and, it sounds and, easy, but it's not. And one caution for you, Joe, and and. This I know we got to run, John. Okay. But one caution, uh, piece of information here, is that if you, you want to say that the offense is so much improved with the line and Barkley, that the Giants are suddenly going to have to win a bunch of games, thirty-one to twenty-eight, that's not a great recipe, because this defense has got to at least get back to the middle of the pack. If the Giants are going to go to where you want them to go and stop the run, by the way, because if you can't stop the run, your they offense to. isn't going to be on the field. They got to. Uh, it, it's it's not a great philosophy 
to say that the offense is so much improved, the Giants right. are going to win a bunch of games by track meet style of football. That's not a good way to go. And, Paul, what was lost in the mix last year through all the offensive injuries, and look, no one will argue that Odell Beckham Jr.'s injuries and the offensive line issues had a lot to do with the Giants' three wins last sure. year. It did. But the defense was the author of a handful of losses last year that the Giants would have won because the offense scored late, but the mm-hmm. defense couldn't get it done. Mm-hmm. So they had, a, they had their hand in their fair share of issues last year too. And you're right, that side of the ball must improve as well. Yeah, no doubt. All right, folks, tomorrow again we have our big analytics guest, George Cheruhi from Pro Football Focus with Fiegels and I. Uh, send me your questions on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat or at Schmelk, and I'll try to get to those questions throughout the show. And uh, then we're off the week of the 4th of July. Um, and off this Friday. We'll be back on that Monday, and we'll preview the Dallas Cowboys with Mickey Spagnola and the Houston Texans with a guest to be determined uh, that we'll figure out over the next 10 days or so. Paul, good stuff. <laughs> you too, John. Enjoy your time off. As I'm, well. I'm not going to see you for like 11 days. Good for you. I know. <laughs> I'm thrilled. <laughs> Makes it, like It's going to be the best part of my summer. Unfortunately, you know, I don't get to, I have to see you or Lance. Wow. Dan, how great! And you don't have to see me, Paul, or Lance. It's even better for you. You get to avoid me too. Warn security, though, <laughs> because I love this place so much. During the week off, I might just come down here to mow the grass. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow, everybody. You're not going to see him. Count your blessings. Adios. <laughs>